Welcome to the All People's Church podcast. We believe in loving God, strengthening families, and developing leaders. We are so excited for you to hear this life-changing message recorded live at one of our worship experiences. Remember to share and subscribe to this podcast and enjoy the message. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 15, uh, verses 10 to 20. Verses 10 to 20. Matthew chapter 15, verses 10 to 20. Well, how many are at least happy about the warmer weather? We have been above zero, and that's been nice. If you know, you know what I mean? Like, if you didn't have anything to be grateful for, I just gave you one thing to thank God about. That's right. I think spring was a couple days ago, right? Yeah, first day of spring. And of course, in Canada, it never feels like the first day of spring because you wouldn't know it. But, anyways, let's focus. <laughs> All right, I'm reading out of the ESV translation. Here's what it says Matthew 15, verse 10. And he called the people to him and said to them, hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard the saying? He answered, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter answered him, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. That's right. Father, thank you so much for these minutes and moments we can share in your presence under your teaching and your guidance. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would facilitate this conversation, that you would teach us, that you would lead us and guide us tonight, and that you would reveal to us what you want to say. Reveal to us the truth of your word. Uh, Allow us, Lord, to study it uh, within context And even out of that, God, may it uh, be applicable to us today um, as we endeavor to follow you in greater and deeper ways. I pray that that would become true of us, Lord, that we would become deeper and more consistent followers and that you would allow us to think uh, deeply uh, concerning your word. God, I pray if there's any distractions that maybe we are carrying Would you just allow us, God, by your grace to separate from those things for the next couple moments so that we would hear you clearly and plainly. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear as always. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen Amen. Amen. and amen. 
All right, well, tonight, the topic of our time together is take this to heart. Take this to heart. Take this to heart. Of course, the context of the story that we have just read has to do with the Pharisees approaching Jesus, right? The Pharisees approach Jesus, and we know that the Pharisees have a problem with Jesus, and in this account, the Pharisees take problem with the disciples of Jesus. Now, of course, in that day and age, to pick on a rabbi's disciples were, was equivalent to picking on the rabbi. It was understood that disciples only behave the way they behave because they have been instructed by their rabbi to behave in that way. And so in that case, the Pharisees approach Jesus, the rabbi of the 12 disciples, and say, hey, why don't your disciples, you see the condescending tone in their question, why don't your disciples wash their hands? Why do, they, why do they break tradition? What's going on with them? And of course, they're not so concerned about the disciples as much as they are the teachings of Jesus. In other words, what they're saying is if you're their rabbi, shouldn't you be teaching them the correct stuff? And of course, if you remember, if you were here last week, the rebuttal that Jesus gives is, hey, you are so concerned with the traditions of men and yet you use the traditions of men to ignore the commandments of God. And so that's an incredibly powerful statement because it's as if Jesus is saying, it's, it's as if Jesus is saying, hey, you know the truth of God's word and yet you're not changed. Right? So, so they quote to him traditions. And he says, well, the word of God says, honor your mother and your father. But you use traditions of men to bypass that, to circumvent that. So you say to your parents, hey, everything, you know, that I should have given to you, well, I give it to God as glory. So now I don't have to honor my mother and parents. So, so Jesus, says, Jesus says, oh, you use the traditions of man to, to nullify the commandments and the word of God. And that's where he uses that word, uh, which means to make void to render useless the word of God. Now, we, as disciples of Jesus, looking to go uh, a little bit deeper, we run into a predicament. Somebody say, what? What's the predicament? The predicament is that Jesus has just said to them that they know the word of God, but they are not changed. Well, that's very complicated, and I think that's a predicament, especially for us who have come to a Bible study tonight. We have come to a place where it's about God's word. It's about going deeper into God's word, studying God's word. And yet, Jesus has given us a revelation. And the revelation is that you can enter a space like this and leave with a plethora of knowledge, right knowledge, and not be changed and not be transformed. And so, how many know that's a little discouraging? Yeah. Right? That's, that's a little just like, you know what I'm saying? That's a little, that's a little discouraging, but, but I want you to begin to think about other truths in life that you know. Truths about your health, 
truths about maybe finances. How many know that there is a financial principle that if you spend more than you make, you're eventually going to run out of what you have? Right? That's just the truth. Uh, was it, as it relates to eating healthy and, and living a lifestyle that is healthy, how many know that the more toxins you put into your body, the less alive and energetic it's going to feel? How many know if you're out there driving your car and you continuously speed and, and cut other people, uh, eventually you're going to see some lights behind you and you're going to get a ticket? So there's, there's a lot of truths in life, right, that you know, that you're aware of, that you have in your arsenal of the things that you know, in your, in your mental library. And yet, I think it's interesting to know that not all those truths are changing you. Hello? Right? Like, the truth that I know about exercise and diet, it's not changing me. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna put that out there, right? <laughs> I know it, but it's not changing me. By the same token, there are other truths that I know that are not changing me. And so when Jesus says to Pharisees, hey, you know the word of God, but it's not changing you, well, that shouldn't surprise us all that much because we're familiar with the concept of knowing things and yet, being and yet not being changed. And so the concept and the idea that I think Jesus gets fixated on in this moment and in this story is that you have to take certain things to heart if you want to experience transformation. If you want to experience transformation, you're going to have to take this to heart. If you want the word of God and the, and the knowledge of who God is to change you and to transform you, you're going to have to take it to heart. And that is, by the way, that is not a brilliant concept that I, come, I came up with all by myself sitting up here. That's just, that's common sense. If you, if you simply know something, it does not mean you believe it. You believe it when you begin to act it out. And so the Bible talks about this concept called repentance. And in accordance to repentance, the Bible says that there should be something that is evident. That repentance, when it is true and taken to heart, it is accompanied by fruit. And so the Bible encourages individuals to do what? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So it's not you knowing the thing that tells me you believe it. It's you actually living it out, bearing fruit in keeping with it, that tells me you believe it. Now, by that same token, let's apply that to ourselves because the application of Bible study is not how other people need to apply the word better. It's how we need to apply it better. Can I get an amen there? Amen. 
Right. And so if you're like me, which is human, you have the tendency to think about other people that need to apply this. And I would say to you what Jesus said to Peter, what concern are they of you? Right? Jesus tells Peter about the way he's going to die, and Peter responds by pointing to John and says, well, what about that guy? (laughs) And Jesus says, don't worry about that guy. Let's just worry about you. And so then the question for ourselves, I think, that is imperative is that what do I know that I have not taken to heart? And because I have not taken it to heart, it is not changing me the way it probably should. It is not transforming me the way it probably should. Are we okay so far? So we need to take it to heart. The heart is an interesting thing primarily because it is unseen. Hello? Unless you have x-ray vision, I'm sure you've never seen your own heart. And of course, when we speak about the heart and when the Bible speaks about the heart, how many know it's not talking about the organ pumping blood? It's talking about something far deeper than that, isn't it? It is, it is talking about your spirit, man. It is talking about your soul. It is talking about the real and true you. And of course, the danger about the real and true you is it is hidden. It is hidden. It is hidden. And the longer you live, I don't know about you, but the longer you live, the greater you get at hiding your true self. You pick up on things, right? Have you ever seen, uh, you know, um, an infant, uh, a, one, a one-year-old, a two-year-old? They are uniquely themselves, right? They, in, in those ages, are probably the only ages where there is no distinction or difference between who you are in your soul and who you are Um, as the expression of what you do, say, and behave as. During that age, there's nothing separating your external self with your internal self. And you see that when they run around and they're crazy and they say things and and they do things and they're climbing walls and you, you know what I'm saying? Like, they are themselves. But as we grow and we gain self awareness, For some reason, self-awareness tells us to hide the internal, right? And to put on the external. And the longer we live, the better we get at putting on the external, right? Now there's practicalities to it. You go to a job application, I'm sure you've got to behave and speak in a certain way, and you've got to put on certain external things, But the danger of the external is that eventually it convinces you that it's the only thing that matters because it's the only things others see. And and if I can just focus on the external and, and if I don't slip up, if I don't come out of character, then I can be okay. I can have the right friends and maybe find the right spouse and land the right job and have the life that maybe I desire. 
But then there's a predicament, right? And the predicament is God comes on the scene of humanity as one of them, right? And he comes now demonstrating what it looks like to have no distinction between the internal and external. Jesus is the only human that as an adult had no distinction between his, who he was internally and who he was externally. Jesus was uniquely himself. He was perfect, sinless, nothing to hide. Right? And he comes on the scene and he says... Well, you see the thing that humanity has been so fixated on? Yeah, the external, the performances, the having your act right, having, making, making sure you're, you're walking in character and you don't slip up. And you, yeah, you know all of that stuff? Yeah, yeah, what about it, Jesus? Well, none of that really matters. <laughs> what do you mean? We, we've built whole schools of thoughts around this concept. <laughs> We, we have dedicated our whole life to this. We, as probably one Pharisee would say, our entire public display of life revolves around the basis of the external. And Jesus says, yeah. There's this prophet that came a while ago. His name was Isaiah, and he prophesied something, and I think he was speaking about you. When he said... <laughs> that these people worship me in vain. They worship me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Oh, that's interesting. So now, Jesus is saying, well, you thought this whole internal-external battle just had to do with how you lived and presented yourself in life and how you related to others. And Jesus says, it's going to get you by in that regard. But it is not going to get you by with God. You cannot approach a God who primarily sees the condition of your heart and trick him because of the practice of your actions. It doesn't work. Because God primarily does not see the action. God primarily sees the heart. God first and foremost sees the internal, not the external. Right? Which is, which is, what, which is what God had to say to the prophet of the old. Don't concern yourself so much regarding the appearance of man. For God looks at the heart. So it's a matter of the heart. Right, King David, when King Solomon had to go choose a new king to replace Saul. So it's a matter, it's a matter of the heart. It's, it's God saying to humanity that I can show up in the flesh, which he does. I can stand right in front of you. I can do miracles that only a divine being could do. 
But unless you take it to heart, you don't change. You don't change. Which is very fascinating because God is omnipresent. He is all-powerful and all-knowing. And so he can be in many places at the same time. He, he actually does not have to ask for permission except except to take territory in your heart. God does that by invitation. Which is wild. Because we're talking about the creator of the cosmos. We're talking about the creator of the world. He can just show up. But he can't transform you unless you take who he is to heart. Now, I don't know about you, but that, does that seem fair? <laughs> You're like, God, I'm just, you okay to think with me like this? Are we doing all right? I've been, I've been in bed for like seven days, and so I just gotta, I gotta do something, right? You go, God, um, you, you, ever, you ever been frustrated with God because he won't change you? You know what I mean? Like, can we be honest? I know, yeah, right? I thought it was me alone by myself here. Um, yeah, I've been frustrated with God. Hey, God, why can't you just take this thing from me? God, why can't you just bring this change? Do you know how much better we'd get along? Do you know how much more you could probably accomplish if you just took those things away? And yet God doesn't do that. And, and this, is, this is the part that's very interesting. Because what I'm, what I'm talking about, and if you haven't picked up on it, what I'm talking about is the concept of the regeneration of the heart. The regeneration of the heart. That's, that's, really, what I'm, that's really what I'm talking about. What gets, what gets really fascinating and what gets really interesting about this is this becomes incredibly difficult and frustrating and what makes it difficult and frustrating are not rules. Rules don't make our relationship with God, our Christianity, rules don't make Christianity difficult. Relationship makes Christianity difficult. Okay? Now, just think with me for a moment. Why? Because relationships create complexity. Rules don't create complexity. Hello? Right? Let's just take that example about, you know, speeding on the, speeding on the, on the road. Kyle pulls you over. You know how fast you were going? Uh, I clocked you at, you know, let's say 90 kilometers in a 60, 60 kilometer zone. That's a big ticket, by the way. Um, not that I know from example. Um, it's very, it's very clear that you broke a rule. And he can say, hey, look, there's a speed limit right there, 60 kilometers an hour. So, so rules don't make this thing complex. Relationship makes it complex. And the reason relationship makes it complex is because in relationship, not only do your actions matter, but your motives matter. When you're obeying the traffic 
laws, the rules, your motives don't matter, your actions matter. So what makes this complex is that God doesn't invite us into a life of following rules. He invites us into a relationship. And relationships are complex because not only do actions matter, but motives matter. It does not just matter why you did a thing. It matters why you did it. So let's go back to the prophecy that Isaiah says, and Jesus links it to the Pharisees. They're worshiping. But their heart is far from the God they're worshiping. So it's not the action, it's the motive, because it's relationship. If it was just rules, then there would be no problem. It's easier with rules. But the moment there's relationship, there's complication. Your relationships, if you think about it, your easiest relationships are with the ones with the most rules. So for instance, if you have a corporate job and you have a boss, your relationship with your boss is easy because there's rules. You know your lane, you know their lane. You know your position, and you know their position. But the moment you come home, and now you are relating with others, and rules are not what dictate how this home functions. They're a part of it, no doubt. But there's relationship. So there's motives. There's expectations. There's, well, why didn't you say this to me? There's, you left without a hug. There's, well, you said I love you, but you said it very interesting. You, you didn't say it the way you normally say it. You see, you see how relationships are complex. And what makes relationships complex with one another is because we don't have insight into our hearts. So you'll, you'll misunderstand what I do and why I do it because you can't see my heart. That's why when, when, when somebody thinks you faulted against them and, and they come to you and they say, hey, you know, I don't, I don't mean to be obnoxious or crazy, but you know, you did this thing, it didn't really sit right with me and I just wanted to tell you that I had to get it off my chest and so you know, we, we don't have anything. What do I have to now do? I have to explain my heart. Right? Because they can't see my heart. Now, why do, I, why do I say that? Because even though relationship is complex, because it's not about rules, it's not just about actions, there's motives and expectations, and there's desire and delight. Well, the only one that truly knows your heart is God. And so as complicated as it might get, because it's a relationship and it's not just about rules. At the same time, it becomes incredibly freeing because this is the only relationship you have where before you say anything about your heart, he already knows. You see that? You see that? So yes, it's complicated. 
Yes, there's difficulty because human heart has to, there's motives and there's intentions and there's all of this. And yet at the same time, it's incredibly freeing. It's incredibly freeing. So with that as my introduction, we now go into the text. All right. Okay, so, the text. And he called the people to him and said to them, hear and understand, it's not what goes into the mouth that, what, defiles. And so this is what is that question, this idea of what defiles, right? So this idea of defiling has to do with making something morally or ritually Unclean or unfit. Does that make sense? So the question at hand is, hey, your disciples are unclean because they eat with unclean hands. So they defile themselves. They make themselves morally and ritually unclean and unfit because they eat with unclean hands. That's, that's the dilemma, okay? Now, what Jesus then does is he speaks notice to the people. Who's questioning? The Pharisees. They're doing the questioning, but Jesus speaks to the people. Now, this people would have been the same crowd of the 5,000 plus people that he fed. Okay? Now, you have Jesus who is being questioned by individuals who are focused on the external. Now, did Jesus come to focus on the external, yes or no? No, Jesus came to focus on the internal, the heart, right? And so now it's very interesting because you have people who are influential in that day and age, right? Um, so influential that at certain points it did not matter what the word of God said, it mattered what the Pharisees said about the word of God. Like, that's how influential they are. Okay? So it, it would be like, it wouldn't be like, oh yeah, the word of God says this. It would be like, well, what did Rabbi so-and-so say that this means? That's how influential they are. And so they're influential, but they're influential in the wrong way. They're, they're leading people into something that God actually wants to move them out of because he wants to give them a new heart. Remember, all of this is prophesied in Jeremiah and Ezekiel about the new covenant. God will give humanity a new heart. On their heart, he's gonna write their law. Or his law, rather. And so you have individuals who are incredibly influential, and so what Jesus does is rather than speaking to them, he speaks to the crowd. He speaks to the people. And, and I think the reason he does that is it's Jesus' attempt to sever and cut the wrong influence off the crowd. It's, it's him saying to the crowd. So he calls the crowd and says, hey, hear and understand this. It's kind of like, hey, behold. Take this in. Take this to heart. It's not what goes in the mouth that defiles you, that's what the Pharisees are saying. But what comes out of the mouth, this is what defiles a person. So it's not what comes out, it's, or sorry, it's not what goes in, but what comes out. 
Now, Jesus is going to explain this a little bit more. Then the disciples came to him. Now, this is really funny because you got to love the heart of the disciples. The disciples came to him, and this is how you know how, how influential the Pharisees are, how much their opinion mattered. Because look at what the disciples say. Do you know Jesus? Could you imagine this, right? Jesus speaking to 5,000 people. They, come, they kind of shake him a little bit. Jesus, do you know that the Pharisees were offended at what you said? You know that? Right? Like you don't want to offend the Pharisees, Jesus. Because their opinion matters. So do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? Which, which means that Jesus knows they're listening, but he's not speaking to them. Did you know they were offended when they heard this Saying, and I love what Jesus says. He answered, Every plant that my who? Heavenly Father. So, so here's, here's what Jesus right off the gate is saying it doesn't matter if you plant yourself, it doesn't matter if you plant yourself, it matters if my Father has planted you. Right? Every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. In other words, if, it, if, it, if it's not by his name, for his glory, in his garden, it's going to be removed. See that? So this kind of goes back to, remember the parable of, of the, the, the wheat and the weeds, Jesus says, yeah, let them, let them grow together right now. But there's going to be a day where they're going to be taken out and separated because they don't belong. Now remember, who plants the weeds? Not the gardener. The enemy comes and plants the weeds. So every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. Now, now notice what he says. This is, so, so first Jesus gives them some insight. Hey, let me give you some theological understanding, some insight. If it's a plant that's not been planted by my heavenly father, it's gonna be rooted up. All right, now he switches to the practical. He says, let them alone. Leave them alone. Let them be. Wait, Jesus, you don't want us to defend you? Leave them alone. Let them be. See, this is a very interesting, interesting concept because um, I have had conversations with non-believers and I know that the conversation is not finished. I know I'm supposed to have another conversation. I know that there is a conclusion that I'm supposed to eventually lead them to. And yet there are other moments where I have conversations with non-believers and I know the conversation's over. I, I know that the Father's work is not happening. Right? So what's Jesus saying? He says, hey, listen, the Father's work is not happening here. Let them alone. Right? He says, he says they are blind guides. And if the blind lead, so they are leading, they do have influence. But they're leading the blind. Now, you can only 
This, this is interesting, right? Like, blind, the blind lead the blind. So, no, not only have you deceived yourself, you've deceived others. So not only have you deceived yourself, you've deceived others, but watch this. The only way you can follow somebody blind is if you're blind. Hello? You cannot follow somebody who's blind and have vision yourself because you will see them stumbling. You will see them bumping into things. You will notice something's not right. And so... They're blind guides. They're leading the blind. And notice, he says, both will fall into a pit. In other words, their end is destruction. This is, this is the end. But notice again his solution. Leave them alone. Let them be. Now, I, I really think the Pharisees here can represent things and even people we rely on more than we rely on God. What do I mean? I mean, again, it did not matter what the word of God said. It mattered what their interpretation of the word of God was. And so they depended on the Pharisees more than they actually depended on, on God. And so it was the Pharisees that they looked to. Hey, what do you think about this scripture? What do you think about this concept? And I, I really think that, that that can happen to us, that, that things and people and even ideas, even lanes of theology can become the thing that is our safety net. And yet, we do not get to heaven on the basis of what we know, but on the basis of who we know. Amen. Primarily, Jesus. And so, it's incredibly important for us to examine our life and say, okay, what exists in my life, or who exists in my life that I actually need to create distance from? That, that if I'm not careful, we're both going to end up in the pit. Does that make sense? So, I might have to take one of these. So I think it's incredibly important that Jesus highlights that for his disciples. Now, notice what he says next. He says, Peter comes up to him and says, hey, well, can you explain the parable to us? Now, Peter's an interesting guy because Peter, most of the time, says what everyone else is thinking, right? So we can't be too hard on Peter because Peter's just the leader of the group. He's just saying what everyone else is thinking. And so Peter says to Jesus, hey, explain this parable to us. And Jesus, in a very interesting way, because it, it teaches us that Jesus had expectation, says this, are you also still, someone say still, without understanding? In other words, 
Jesus has an expectation that by now you should understand some things. By now, you should know what I'm talking about. And yet, Jesus says here, are you still without understanding? Which means Jesus has expectation that we are going to grow. And guess what? Not that we're just going to grow. We're going to grow in the right direction. We can grow in the wrong direction. We can grow in the direction that the Pharisees were influencing the crowd, which was the direction that is fixated and focused on the external performance and not the heart. Or we can grow in the right direction and come behind Jesus and allow Jesus to expose our hearts. Here's what discipleship is. Discipleship is having your heart continually exposed. That's what discipleship is. It's having your heart continually exposed. Why? So that you can actually change at the level of your desires. See, when I was, uh, when I was younger, here's what I thought Christianity was. I thought Christianity was learning to love the things that I secretly hate. And it was learning to hate the things I secretly love. That's what I thought Christianity was. And judging by the silence of the room, I think some of you still might be holding on to that idea. Where we think, as followers of Jesus, the call is hate. Hate what I actually love. So, I love greed and I love lust and I love pride and envy. I love these things, but I'm just actually going to hate them. But I secretly love them. Or I hate community. Hey, community, I don't know why I have to do life with other people, why people want to do coffee with me. Talking about how's your relationship with God. Talking about how you've been doing, so you feel called lately? Hate that. Oh, but I'm just gonna pretend I love it. See, see, that's not what discipleship is. Discipleship is having your heart continually exposed so that God actually changes you and transforms you at the level of your desires. So you actually begin to love what he loves, not just pretend to. Hate what he hates, not just pretend to. That is discipleship. That is taking it to the heart. Now, let me say this because I know there are some people who are new in their faith. You're going to mature in that. You're going to mature in that. You're you're not going to just arrive there. This is going to be a process how are we doing? We doing all right? You guys okay? All right. All right, I will, I will. All right, verse 17. Don't you see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? Now Jesus is teaching, you know, human anatomy and biology here. So we're like, okay, what's going on? But then he gets to the point of it, right? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds, meaning it actually starts 
somewhere else. It starts from the heart. Oh, you, you know that thing that I came to change about you? Yeah, I came to change that because that's actually the real problem. So what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. Why? This is what defiles a person. So what is he saying? The heart is the real issue. So why do you need to take the things of God to heart, the truth of who he is to heart? Because your heart is the problem. Amen. Right? That's why your heart needs to be constantly exposed because it's the problem. That's why your heart needs to be not only exposed. When I say exposed, by the way, I don't just mean to reveal what is in your heart. What I also mean is that, but as well as to expose your heart to the things it needs. To bring before your heart the truth of who God is. To bring before your heart that there's so much more to this life. And so that's what defiles a person. Jesus says this is the real issue. And he continues and he says, for out of the heart, out of the heart, out of the heart, come all these things, evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. And so, and we can, and we can, we can add to this list, like we can, we can continue and talk about all the things, all the things that come from the heart, but we wouldn't, we wouldn't have time to do that and we gotta close. So, Jesus says, for it's out of the heart that all these things come. Now, when, when a parent deals with a child that is misbehaving, um, they often deal with the child at the level of their behavior. And when the child is younger, you kind of have to do that because the child doesn't understand deeper realities of the heart. They, they don't know that there's something internal that is causing this external behavior. And so when they're younger, what do you do? You correct them at the level of their behavior. But as they grow, in self-awareness and in knowledge and, and they begin to understand their heart. You don't only speak to them at the level of their behavior, you speak to, the level, you speak to them at the level of their identity. You speak, to the, at the, you speak to them at the level of their emotions. You speak to them at the level of their thoughts. You speak to them at the level of patterns of thinking. Because as a parent, what you want to deal with, hopefully, is not just having a son or a daughter who can behave in public. But as a parent, I think one of the greatest things that would bring you joy is to know that your child internally knows who they are. And they're able to live out of that. And so, they, they're, they're not just focused on 
hey, Billy, do good things. But they now understand that the things I do are a result of the person I believe I am and the thoughts that I think. And I think in that manner, God as our Father wants to come alongside of us and say, hey, you've been misled a little bit. You've, you've focused on your behaviors for a while, and that's fine. But I'm actually calling you into becoming someone far greater, someone who is a deeper follower of Jesus and not a superficial one. And in order to do that, I'm going to have to deal with you at the level of your identity. I'm going to have to deal with you at the level of your heart, at the level of your emotions, at the level of your thinking. So that the external becomes the fruit and the evidence of the internal reality that you now have in me. It's the unseen part of you. Which is why the words of Jesus to the secret follower, Nicodemus, seem so complex. For Jesus says to him that a man must enter into his mother's womb a second time, or at least that's what Nicodemus is thinking when he's told a man must be born again. Remember that? Nicodemus is like, how can a guy enter his mother's womb a second time? Jesus is like, unless a person is born again, unless a person is born again, unless a person is born again, where? In their heart. In the space that is unseen. God, why are you so fixated on what is unseen? Because that is where your whole life flows out of. That's where all of your life, who you are, it flows out of the unseen part of you. And it would be such a tragedy to get the seen part right and not the unseen. In fact, the way Jesus puts it is, what would it profit a man? gain the world, to gain, to gain the seen and to in return forfeit the unseen, forfeit his, his soul. And so Jesus says, this is what defiles the person, the heart. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. And so in order to transform us, in order to change us, Jesus deals with the nature of a person and not just the external. Does Jesus call us into a life of obedience? Absolutely. Absolutely. Jesus calls us into a life of obedience. But obedience starts somewhere. At least the right obedience does. 
The wrong kind of obedience starts out here. The right kind of obedience starts in here. And, and that's the life that Jesus invites us into. And yes, it's difficult and it's complex. But because he knows our hearts, it is so free. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for these moments that we could share. God, we thank you that you have, that you can, and that you will regenerate our hearts. God, we thank you that you do your greatest work in the unseen. And we await the day where your glory will be put on display. For what no one saw you do, but we knew it to be true. You change hearts and you transform lives. And we thank you for that reality. We ask that you would do it. Do it in our lives and do it in the lives of those we know need a touch from you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.